Hi, I'm Emily Rose, and this is another episode of the Rebind.io podcast. I'm the assigning editor at the site, and today I am joined by... Jordan Black from JustAddMonsters.com. It's a pleasure having you back on the show, Jordan Norwell. I was on... I was on like a charity event with you and then like, so we've never like formally done this, but it, it feels like we've already kind of done this a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It's, it's good to be here. Thank you very much for having me. For sure. And since our audience may not necessarily be familiar with what you do, uh, you run a place called uh, Just Add Monsters, which is, I want to say you're not quite a video essayist. You're not quite a, an outlet. Could you tell us a little bit more about what Just Add Monsters is? Yeah, it's it's hard to describe. Uh, the elevator pitch is, um, so just to give a little history, I was finishing up my AA in college this last season, and during a job fair, I spoke to uh, some people from a local news station, the kind of local NBC affiliate KHQ, and was looking to see if they had any need for somebody with uh, my journalistic experience. I've written as a, a game journalist for the last five years. I was a senior editor at RelyOnHorror.com. I wrote with, um, I was an internet game informer for a while. And it turns out that they were actually looking to break into games coverage because they knew that the industry, especially around esports, was so lucrative right now. And what ended up happening is I kind of pitched them on this, okay, uh, what if we expand it past that? Because gaming is really, it's its not just esports, it's not just Fortnite or Call of Duty, but it is this huge industry that is not being covered uh, with the amount of nuance by mainstream outlets like Polygon and IGN, but at the same time, those, those smaller, more passionate fans on that you usually find on YouTube and Twitch aren't getting, uh, they, they aren't nearly as organized, they aren't getting the attention that some of the other more mainstream sites are. So the philosophy was to kind of combine. Yeah, and uh, it, it's kind of interesting because in, in a lot of ways, as much as we have a big wing of games media and game press out there uh, through outlets like Polygon and, and Kotaku and things like that, the the topic has become such an expansive field. I mean, like games is like, it, it's kind of what we do, right? It's like, I have to be very specific with people when they go like, hey, you work in games, what do you do? And it's like, well, I, I work in an aspect of games. You know, it's like, at this point, it's it's as wide range as saying like, well, you you work in like uh, video, right? Well, what what do you do? Do you do film? Do you do television? Do you do like news media? Like there's there's so many different ways of approaching it. Yeah, and that's been that's been a real challenge uh, for us to meet because so far it's just been me uh, doing this for the last six months or so, and uh, we we have recently started to look into expanding. I'm bringing on a part time person to help me relatively soon, so we'll be able to branch out a little bit more. But what my work with Just Add Monsters has mostly consisted of has been um, reviews on the more consumer friendly side, so not going too deep into the weeds on technical aspects of games. One of our biggest series has been Switch Mix, which we basically just look at the latest ports that have come to Switch. Uh, Non-edited footage, so it's just me playing the game for between 10, 15, 20 minutes and giving my assessment of the game and reviewing the quality of the port. It's something that's very simple. It's not too technical. Anybody who's wondering about you know, Witcher 3 or Overwatch or what does this game look like on Switch, they can go watch that and get the kind of help they need. At the same time, Another one, uh, kind of our, our ethos with this has been gaming for everyone. 
And in doing that, the demographic we're, we're aiming for really is, because, you know, the, the money people behind this are always wondering, okay, well, where do we, uh, wh what's our hook? What's our demographic? And they always kind of want to, their first instinct is to always kind of hedge towards the uh, 15 to 25 male demographic. And that's not necessarily reflective of the audience that games have, but also the audience that games can reach. So some of our other, and this kind of goes in tandem with the video essays I've done, um, one of our other small series is called Starter Packs. And it hasn't gotten a whole lot of views on YouTube, but I'm not necessarily discouraged by that, because it's meant to be a, uh, like the name says, a starter pack of each episode goes over three games in a more colloquially understood genre. So instead of by action-adventure or open-world or RPGs, thereby things like um, mysteries and thrillers, or you know there are puzzle games, or uh, these games are could be defined as comedies. And they're usually starting with a game that is very simple to understand, uh, even for people who have never picked up a controller, and moving on to games that are a bit more complex, ending with kind of a call to action of, if you enjoy these three games, here are three more that you can try out that can help you advance your skills. So it's kind of that aiming for that adult audience um, that's not, you know, not pandering to them, not being condescending to them, but helping to educate the populace on uh, what gaming can be and where it can go outside of what the mainstream usually puts out. And I think our video essays have been the other half of that coin, where I've only done two, and I'm actually in the process, I'm almost finished editing a third on uh, kind of the death and resurrection of Resident Evil. But um, the first one was on the latest Star Wars game, and I tackled that because it has very broad appeal. And I, I want to do more niche uh, videos. I have one in the works on Dishonored uh, and my control video. I actually rewatched my control video last night, and I really enjoyed making that something that's a little bit more philosophical, uh, gets a little bit more into the weeds on the the theme the Ludo narrative of games and the relationship between theme and gameplay and the player and all that stuff. And, and that's one of the ones I've actually taken. That's one of the ones I've actually taken time to sit down and watch. And I really, really enjoyed that one, uh, especially the parallels and connections you were drawing with like Kafka uh, and, and some of the, like you said, getting the weeds and the philosophy side of stuff. It was, it was very satisfying. And I think you hit this like perfect benchmark of like still appealing to that casual audience, but drawing them into some headier subjects. Yeah, and that's definitely, uh, thank you very much. Um, that's definitely what I wanted to do and what the goal of those video essays are. And when I first pitched them, they're, they're some of our best videos that we've, we've put out as far as views go. And I think there's this large untapped market for uh, video essays because a lot of them, you know, there, there are YouTube channels that do phenomenal essay writing. Uh, Noah Caldwell-Gervais, um, Oh, I'm I'm forgetting Racevic, I think is his name. Yeah, and, and we just uh, had uh, Jacob Geller on. Yeah, Jacob Geller does phenomenal work, and but there are these these niches that you kind of have to either let the YouTube algorithm take you there, or you have to know about them from somewhere else. And so I think that kind of entertainment is something that people are interested in. You know, it's it's like the equivalent of uh, special features or making of documentaries on DVDs. Like there are people who do want to see that. And our hope is eventually that we'll be able to make those uh, that kind of content and people will want to pay to our Patreon or, or something to that effect to see that. And 
I, I think working in tandem with something like um, not just Switch Mix, but starter packs is if, if somebody sees something like our uh, Star Wars Fallen Order video, which goes into the parallels between how George Lucas took influence from Westerns and Samurai films with how Remedy took influence, um, Respawn, excuse me, not Remedy, uh, Respawn took influence from uh, the Souls games and the Uncharted games in kind of a similar way. But if somebody watches that, and you know, that could be just somebody who's a Star Wars fan or a Dark Souls fan or what have you. And if they're, well, I guess if they're a Dark Souls fan, this wouldn't be applicable. If they're a Star Wars fan, they watch that and then they're like, okay, what, what do I want to play? Like if, if I wanted to get into games, we have something like starter packs. So it's, it's really about encouraging this environment of play at a, at a casual level and bringing everybody we can into the fold uh, to show them that whether you like whether you like depth and nuance or whether you want something that's just brief and whimsical or whether you just want you know whatever you want in in gaming or for entertainment games has a spot for it gaming and has I, a spot for it i think that's one of the big shifts we have for the focus that's been put on digital lately in this big huge upswing in traffic is that we'll be moving to this kind of place where people's appetites for this stuff is only going to be growing, uh, working from home and and being kind of stuck indoors and not having the opportunity to sort of fall back on those usual day-to-day distractions. Uh, there's a lot more room for exploration and refining our tastes. And I think more than ever, and I've been on this path for a long time, but curation is super important. And there's more to curation than just like, this thing good, this other thing good. It's about being able to draw through these through lines um, and having things be referenced in more of a capacity and then just saying, this is a Souls-like, this is a Metroidvania. You need to draw specific comparisons of this game features this facet and this component that has like a long-standing legacy within the industry and that there are things that are both contemporary and past that are representative of this. And it's like, kind of sort of leading people down this uh, curated trail of going like, you know, hey, you like you like this kind of game? Well, here are games that you might not think of that have anything in common with this one, but surprisingly do be that thematic, narratively, mechanically, so on and so forth. 100%. And I, I, I think we have a problem uh, with media literacy right now and, and the ability to critique something a lot of people aren't able to uh, just critique something that they can still enjoy or, or aren't able to separate somebody criticizing something from the fact that a lot of critique is it's constructive. A lot of it is meant to improve the work. Uh, so, But on that level, you know, there are things that I haven't covered at all with Just Add Monsters because... I, I don't really see any point to it. It's, um, you know, there's, there's an adage that... I don't think there are any bad games. There are uh, interesting games and uninteresting games, which to an extent I, I think is true. And so like games last year that we didn't even touch or cover were games like Borderlands 3 and uh, Ghost Recon Breakpoint, which were games that I, I can't tell you if they're good or bad because I didn't play them, but I can tell you that just from everything I heard about them and what I saw, that they're not as interesting as, as other things we could be could be playing so incorporating some of that subtle uh subtly nudging 
media literacy to our audience on and and whether that's through reviews, whether that's through essays, but encouraging them to think about the relationship between uh, theme, narrative, characters, the player, all that stuff is is important to us to to go above and beyond the other outlets like Polygon, like IGN, Kotaku, and not just give uh, a buyer's guide style rundown. Because a lot of, and I've, I've spoken on this before, but I think a lot of games grew out of the space in the mid to late 90s where the same game would be on multiple platforms and you had just these offices full of essentially kids or very young writers who were jamming through these things, uh, giving their best you know, reports on them. But a lot of it came down to product reviews. Uh, they were, it's, it's where a lot of the scoring systems came from is because you were grading games based on how good are the graphics, how good is the sound quality, how much replay value is there. But if you look at how games themselves as an art form have changed over the last 20 years, that style of criticism isn't really applicable. Uh, but at the same time, the other kind of, I guess, third angle to this would be educating not just on literacy and understanding the language of games and, and the storytelling around them, but the history of the industry. For example, in the Resident Evil essay I'm doing, I go into detail on how uh, the Resident Evil remake, which came out on PlayStation 4 in 2014, uh, smashed sales success or smashed sales records for the PlayStation Store. And I kind of draw a line between that and Resident Evil 4 doing really well at a time when that formula from the Resident Evil remake, that kind of very classic horror survival formula, wasn't doing too hot. A lot of developers were trying to find a way to, to remix it or innovate on it. But because so many developers over time in that almost decade in between there uh, shifted away from that classic formula towards something like Resident Evil 4, people had missed it and they, they wanted it back. So, so giving people context like that through uh, things like video essays is, is important too. It's, it's really a kind of an educational mission for, for the general person without ever being too condescending and without ever feeling the need to, uh, oh, to placate a, a more, an audience that might be looking for more, uh, let's call it energetic content, like something in the vein of a pie. Mm-hmm. We are not, I, I'm doing my best to not get discouraged from our low initial views because we are, we're still starting out. And once we have, Uh, We are almost ready to launch the website, and once we have that, uh, we have a revenue manager, we'll be working with advertisers. So in the next six months, even though the current state of the virus going around has really put a damper on this, in the next six months, I think we will see a much bigger uh, uptake with uh, people really identifying with our work and the, the things that we're doing. And that's really it, right? We had this big sort of uh, media singularity of crunching down all the variety of publications we had down to these sort of like omni publications where they weren't just like reviewing things like games. They were moving on to review things like television shows that were airing and movies and comics and and sort of swirling around this like omni media, right? And yep. so now we're realizing that we've had that for a while now and we've seen the shortcomings of it. We're at a point where we're going, hey, wait a minute it's actually good to have a little bit of variety. It's actually good to have different perspectives and different scope and to not try and cover everything. Because the problem is it's it's like going into a restaurant, right? If you sit down in a restaurant and you look at the menu and they have 
every single food item that you can imagine. They, they take the old spaghetti factory approach. <laughs> it, it puts you in this position of like, kind of not having confidence in what they do. It's like kind of like, well, you do everything, but what do you do well? And uh, then you sit down in places that have small, curated, simple, straightforward menus. And I think those resonate a lot stronger. You know, everybody's more concerned now with finding what's the best like ramen place, what's the best like Italian place, what's the best like pizza place. Like there's a there's a specificity that consumers and audiences look for. And I think that's kind of the beauty of operating on these smaller wavelengths and and staying focused because in in a lot of ways, I think YouTube used to do that better algorithmically. Um, and now it's kind of for a while there, it pushed everybody back into like that media singularity kind of thing. And now it's pulled yep. back from it yet again. And I think that there's there's something to be said for connecting your audience too. I mean, for example, you bring up earlier like the way that the people who have oversight over just add monsters, you know, they kind of instinctively want to look for that again, 15 to 25 male demographic. And what they don't realize is that. That's the demographic you can see. That's the tip of the iceberg. And a lot of what proactive outreach and curation does is to connect the people who are kind of like extremely offline. They're out of the loop. It's like everywhere I go and and anyone I've known who plays games, there's such a wide ranging audience for them, like old to young, uh, female, male, non-binary, queer, just the works, right? It's a huge, huge, diverse audience. And the problem comes in that because the media caters to a specific demographic, because we are so caught up in trade publication style appealing to mass common denominators as a marketing tactic, we've lost touch with how to map the people who don't fit in those boxes. So we assume that they're not there, but they absolutely are. Yeah. And our, our I think our core mission, as it's evolved over time, our core mission has really been... Uh, to, to draw them out, to, to encourage them to kind of get in, in this fold along with everybody else, you know, cause we are, we did cover uh, games like modern warfare last year, but we also covered things like, uh, I did a review for deadly premonition. I have, um, I would be trying to do a review for disaster report. Uh, there are a number of really great indie games that were featured in our, uh, best of kind of game of the year compilation, including, um, no players online, and I'm trying to remember the ballad of or the ballad of the metamorphosis of M. Dolly, which if you haven't played, it's on Itch.io. It's a fantastic game. So, kind of showing people uh, integrating that with the other work we're doing, because those games in in our game of the year compilation were featured alongside, you know, best. Uh, you know, facial capture, or whatever categories we had. So, it, they people were seeing those alongside games like Resident Evil 2 or Devil May Cry 5. But the way that they stand out, those are going to appeal to entirely different audiences. And I think really uh, one of the the great untapped markets to cover is Itch.io, is the, the indie, truly independent game scene, which is one of the things that we're really trying to get done. I don't know how possible it is to get it done in the calendar year but when I've, i think i've spoken to you about it we've planned and we're trying to get the ball rolling or were before the outbreak happened on a independent games festival something that would be very casual uh, very focused on 
the community as and pitched as an event and advertised as an event that anybody can come to, whether you're bringing your family, whether you're bringing a date. Uh, because a lot of times these indie games, not only are they incredibly personal and very, very creative and original and interesting, they're usually pretty easy to play. They aren't as complicated as, you know, your Dark Souls or Horizon or whatever else. There's no, rarely are there tons of gear systems and, and all this other stuff. They're pretty easy to interact with. And I think um, I'm, I'm really, that's kind of my, my personal baby project for like a long run, what I want to do with Just Add Monsters. Because we have a, a perfect in locally for uh, possibly being able to put it in uh, a local mall and having all the developers set up booths there. And it's, it's just kind of on hold right now. But that's the kind of big steps that we want to take to bring these broad tastes to people who might not even know that they're interested in games yet. They're the amount of people, uh, when, I, when I was first brought on board, and this is uh, entirely true, I spoke to you know people who were working with KHQ's advertising and and people in charge of the money and people in charge of uh, getting the message out and they you know they wanted to know well what what is there to games like what aside from Fortnite and Call of Duty which are the things that people in the mainstream hear about but that's the equivalent of you know right now and I was thinking about this games are in this strange place where. The mainstream does hear about Fortnite and Call of Duty because they have big tournaments and they might cause controversy or they have the biggest streamers or what have you. But that's the equivalent of if you only ever heard about Marvel movies coming out. You know, it's it's not they they aren't seeing the the parasite. They aren't seeing the portrait of a lady on fire of gaming necessarily. And when it is presented to them, uh, you know, these games that are usually presented quote unquote as art things like the last of us which and this is a true story uh i actually when i was trying to get this job and trying to make this program to kind of show uh the station manager and the the station supervisor like how entertaining games could be and how entertaining it could be to watch games i played for them the opening of the last of us which i i don't particularly like that game i don't think it's very good but that opening is a very effective, evocative kind of summation of why uh, that cinematic brand of game is so effective with such a large audience, because it really blends what people already understand, what we kind of just through cultural osmosis understand about the language of cinema, and then applies that to something that you can actually look at somebody playing. Um, and there there are deeper ways to, to convey that. I think that that's those are some of the ideas we're trying to get across in expanding or expanding people's knowledge of indie games, expanding their uh, literacy when it comes to things like theme and how uh, Ludo narrative interacts with the player. But to get to kind of get people in the door, I can totally understand why uh, those games would be important. But anyway, sorry, I, I got a little off topic there. No, I think that's all really apt too, and. I, I think there is really something to, again, like sort of intersplicing uh, the ways in which you talk about games that you do like versus you don't like. And again, it comes back to drawing those two lines. I uh, think about so many times there have been big knockout hit releases that I have ducked out on for like years because I'm just kind of like, this is, doesn't appeal to me. It's for a different demographic, yada, yada, so on and so forth. And 
really what was happening there was a breakdown in the presentation and the marketing for me. And then I'd come across those games years later or those pieces of media through um, either the recommendations of friends who I really trusted their taste on or specifically maybe a piece that came at it from a particularly interesting angle. And that's what sucked me in. And then I find out actually, hey, I, I love this work I've kind of shunned for the past couple of years. And now I kind of like evangelize it when I have that same point to continue on. And I think that is, is again, sort of my issue with the uh, everybody kind of covering things in the same way is because it prevents, again, from from reaching out to those audiences that aren't connected to the discourse and don't necessarily have the same um, sort of like specific literacy that so much of a lot of games Twitter or games press or whatever propagates. You know, it's it's almost like speaking different languages in that regard. And I think that's why I've just spent so much time the past year probably consuming more games media than I ever had because now we have, again, you have the Jacob Gellers, we have the... Gervaises, we have you, uh, we have Aaron Signal, where it's people who are speaking and appealing to these different directions, and they're not just saying the same thing on every different channel, you know? And and that's kind of a lot of the problem, I think. A lot of people go like, oh, for years it was like, nobody's going to pay for written media. Nobody's going to pay for like games media or anything like that. You have to do what drives clicks, what drives ad revenue. But that is such a narrow and myopic way of looking at things is very like bleak and distorted and I think becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in a lot of ways. Well, and I, I completely agree because you look at sites like IGN and it goes back to what you were talking about earlier where they feel the need to become these cultural hubs to cover all of, you know, quote unquote, nerd dumb, if you will. So they cover all the, the latest Marvel movie trailers. They cover all the latest superhero comics. And the effect is that it's so homogenized that I, I couldn't name you somebody who works as a staff writer at IGN. Uh, Kotaku and Polygon have less of a problem because their their writers are more out in front of the, the stuff that they're doing and because of the, the, the internet contingent that they tend to rile up. It, it's still it's still there where you get the, the semblance or you get the sense that a lot of people working at these professional outlets tend to either like the same things or dislike the same things. And it really ends up feeling something like an echo chamber when you kind of bounce from uh, one outlet to the other. And that's really something I think bringing this aspect of personality to it, where we uh, really want to not just encourage the, the, people making our content but the viewers as well to be genuine and like stick by what you don't like stick by what you like thankfully i'm, I'm very happy with the person that we're bringing on board uh, i think she's going to be a fantastic addition and is exactly the kind of fresh blood that we need but in the future i hope to continue hiring more people from more diverse backgrounds who are able to give their completely unabated opinions on things and i think that that's really what people want to see because for so long we have been dealing with that homogenized version of media coverage. Uh, it's not just in games, it's been in film too. And now that there are people like uh, Jacob Geller out there and uh, Aaron Signal, people are willing, you know, people will see when they go to those essays or when they, when they sit down and watch, you know, three hours of this footage, they'll see that not only are they, 
putting more thought and more effort into the editing, the writing, than a lot of quote-unquote critics on YouTube who will... Uh, I don't I don't know the guy's name, but there's that one YouTuber who did like a like a five hour review just ranting over The Last Jedi, like literally just stopping mm-hmm. every time he had a minor quibble with it. Which like we've we've really been deceived by people like that on the other side of criticism, where we think that okay, so we have IGN and we have professional critics, and then we have the people who, and I think a lot of people view them more as, okay, well, these are the non-corporate shills. These are the people we can trust. But at the same time, they aren't necessarily driven by um, the same goals. So I, I think finding a common ground, especially with video essays and media analysis, is really what we're all about. And drawing in as many people as possible to, to educate them that, hey, you don't need to be a corporate shill, or I'm not saying IGN's a corporate shill, but you don't need to be this kind of very cookie-cutter, homogenized version of critique, but at the same time, it, it's not constructive and it's not conducive to moving art forward to just sit there and nitpick over little things like plot holes. Um, there, There is more to art than that, and we're our, our version of educating people is just to kind of offer our hand and say, Let's, uh, let us show you. Yeah. As a little bit of a segue, uh, I think it would actually be interesting to outline. I, I mean, we, we all kind of are aware, especially I think of our audiences heard enough times in the show about the sort of shortcomings and, and sort of friction points where we need to grow in games media. But mm-hmm. I think it would be helpful to draw parallels into which other media industries have been kind of failing a little bit. I mean, uh, film comes to mind, right? Like film has always had a problem with sort of like film bro critique, especially over the past couple of years. Uh, There's been such an emphasis and focus put on uh, channels. Like, I I don't know, like red letter media comes to mind, which is not, they're not a film critique uh, site. You know, they're not, they're not a film critique channel. They're kind of just like some guys who enjoy like B list movies and, and kind of just muck about and like, there can be aspects to productions like that that can be entertaining and, and maybe informative, but it is weird how a cult of personality has sprung up around them as if they are, like, in fact, the arbiters of taste. And I don't think anyone who runs a channel like that sees themselves that way, but it's especially weird just how, like, that kind of, again, that that film bro culture has become completely crystallized uh, in, in films media in general. I mean, when was the last time you remember seeing, like, a really good like video essay critique breakdown in film or anything like that from someone who wasn't just like a, a cis white dude. That's a, I mean, that's a fantastic question. And I, I'm just thinking about it. I, I would point to uh, Jack Saints videos. Cause I think he does really good breakdowns, but I don't know. And he is a white dude. I don't know if he's cis, but he, he does come from a different mold where I, I think with channels like red letter media or the people who like them, or even, even stuff that can be considered adjacent, like nostalgia critic. Um, I think they've been around for so long and there's such a place for people to go to almost seek refuge in not liking something or uh, feeling shamed over liking something where if they, if people went and 
saw The Last Jedi and they walked out of it and were like, oh, I, I didn't like that movie. Instead of, you know, a, a normal person, well, and not to say it's not normal, but instead of a reaction like I kind of had when I saw the last Star Wars movie, which was just like, I didn't like that and I'm moving on with my life. A lot of people grow more attached to that and they want to see other people that that kind of confirmation bias which i think is why so many channels thrive which which is funny because there is a lot of like and like uh internet discourse of like oh we're gonna make funny fun of people who need like validation or safe space like oh you're valid all this stuff but it's like that's kind of exactly what happens in film bro culture is it's like, it's a bunch of film bros validating each other, validating their tastes and telling them like, yes, it's good that you like this thing, like so on and so forth. And it's, it's so frustrating uh, that that is such a like, well, okay, why do you want to deny this for other people? And that, that's not to say all of them do it or do it actively or, or anything like that by any means. It's a, uh, you know, I would argue probably like, a smaller amount of that demographic than we like to believe. And, and I'm not like pointing fingers, right? I'm not saying like, oh, oh all whites as dudes are bad or whatever, but it is a over a heavily overrepresented def- demographic. Um, one, one film critic that does come to mind, I think a uh, Patricia Taxon, who I can't remember if they've like done stuff with, uh, I think Quentin Reviews. Um, that, that's probably how I came across them on YouTube, just through like the algorithm, like shunting things on my dashboard. But, uh, they've done a little bit of film critique stuff and that's like kind of the last time I can think of like a diverse voice in any sort of like film media critique or whatever. I would say also now that she's coming to mind, uh, Maggie Mae Fish has done, she did a fantastic video on RoboCop as a queer experience, um, which is based on a couple different people's readings of the film. And she, she has a lot of, I wish she put more stuff out, but uh, the stuff she has out is, is fantastic. But I, I think it's um, totally accurate to, to kind of say that there is almost an echo chamber effect again with this kind of film bro culture yes. where you have people going to these reviews and then, and even if it is a review that is just passionate or just, you know, it could be completely over the top yelling at the camera or what have you. The people, the viewer walks away with ideas because of that. Like, like that, that's another part of media literacy that people don't, I don't think a lot of creators really want to take credit for is the things you say to your, and it doesn't matter if it's a hundred fans or a hundred thousand, the things you say have weight. Like they come to you for your opinions when you give them your opinions and, uh, you, you point out like, ah, oh, this, this, and this. If they agree with that and you say that, ah, oh, Ryan Johnson should be fired or this person should be, it shouldn't be in the movie or, you know, Kelly Marie Tran ruins The Last Jedi or whatever, uh, then those people, not all of them, because, you know, some of them have perfectly fine conceptions of boundaries, but that's where we get things like harassment campaigns and hate campaigns, even this long after Gamergate. And I have no problem. Look, I'm I'm as inclusive as possible when it comes to Just Add Monsters, and I want everybody to enjoy our content, um, unless you are a bigot, unless you are hateful in any way. And then I really don't care for including you. I really don't care about pandering to your tastes or offending you. Um, this is something that I've, I've started recently, kind of a, a series to to kind of cover more modern news, but deliver some more opinion pieces called hot takes. And 
two of the videos have been some of the best we've done, mostly I imagine because people hate watching them, but one examining when Cliff Plazinski a couple weeks ago was talking about how Lawbreakers failed because it was too woke or something, um, and one examining how Persona 5 isn't like really getting censored. And the people in the comments are just the most pedantic, uh, like, I mean, you can't really call them anything other than pedantic. And I, I have no time to really engage with that. Like, you aren't, you aren't trying to approach these matters in good faith. You're not trying to uh, better yourself or critique a work that you profess to love in, in the hopes that it improves. You just, you, most of these people just don't care. They want things the way they want them, and they don't want the same for everybody else. Yeah. So how has reception to Just Add Monsters been so far? It's been good. Um, it's been fairly, I wouldn't say overwhelming because we haven't received, where we're at 200 subscribers right now on YouTube, which for our only real uh, place where we have a presence, because uh, our website isn't quite completed yet, we don't have ads yet, um, I don't think that's too bad for, for being on for six months and putting out you know 120 plus videos now. And I think the, the reception to Switch Mix, the reception to things that are a little bit more general and palatable has been good. I would like to have seen a little, if I'm being honest, just because of the amount of work that I ended up putting into those video essays, um, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more engagement from our, our uh, audience with those. But they do, the weird thing about video essays is that they don't, they, they have kind of a really strong start. And then a really quick die-off, but they stay consistent. They really plateau for a long time. So those still get... It's uh, a long tail vision. Yeah. And then that's that's kind of the thing where it's like, okay, I, I get bummed about it, but then I realize like over time it's gone from, you know, 400 views to 500 views. And then eventually the algorithm will hopefully pick it up. And it's it's totally fine. It's just, it's frustrating looking at some of our other videos. Our best video is one that the algorithm just yanked and threw everywhere and it's one that i barely put like i I put work into all my videos but i didn't you know spend a lot of time or inject a whole lot of personal passion into it it was just a switch mix for bloodstained uh and it didn't even do super great when we launched it but around the time of black friday sales for switch that thing just went bananas and it's at 12k views right now and it's outpaced our any other video by several thousand views so it's the the reception overall has been good, um, and I'm looking forward to to kind of hitting a wider audience than we currently have. Yeah, and I think that is kind of the advantage of these little sort of like uh, how to put them like these brand aggregates of like you know like even though stuff like BreadTube is not a official like organization, right? It's not like an official like web ring of video essays. It's kind of in an organic fashion. Uh, those people have sort of like drifted together and and had yep. a lot of shared audience and, and tend to tag each other in. And I've noticed that started to crop up with video essays too. Like I've tried to, every time I've had Aaron Signal in here, um, Jacob Geller, uh, I've made it a point to not only draw attention from our audience, but also pass on to them, like, you know, channels like umbrella terms, uh, like what you've been doing over at Just Set Monsters and sort of like 
that solidarity goes a long way because that's something we've certainly benefited from in the indie crit scene is like there's into the spine, there's uh, uppercut crit, there's uh, deep hell, there's several outlets. And on top of that, we're very fortunate to have the wonderful people over critical distance uh, who have done just a fantastic job at uh, curating and collating all of the available like critique out there. And I know they've been dabbling with that a little bit in terms of like doing the same for video essay stuff. It's obviously a lot harder in that uh, position because you wind up in this place of like, these videos are long and you have to like at least skim the bulk majority of the content to decide whether or not it's going to fit in with the other items that you're curating. But they still do a really solid job. And I think now we're starting to get this, this uh, something else we encourage is getting video essayists to talk to the experimental indie crit people and vice versa, because I think we all benefit from having this larger ecosystem that encompasses all of us. And it's uh, interesting too, because sometimes there can be spillover with, again, larger, larger demographics. I mean, H Bomber guy is known for doing like a big, like long game retrospective or like sort of deep dive stuff too, even though that's not like their main bread and butter. Uh, it's the same with some other like uh, media critique people on YouTube. So it's it's nice seeing that crossover. And again, those through lines, right? That's that's how it always is. It's like you bring people around. It's we have to really treat the media landscape less like a landscape and more like a, a fluid simulation, like an ocean, right? You have these currents that are drawing things through and circulating and bringing them around. Especially with the way that the algorithms work and and put preference on certain kinds of content. Uh, for example, what you were talking about with uh, your sort of head of your video essays and the way that they have more of a long-term strategy, it does really feel sometimes like you're putting a message in a bottle, throwing it out in the ocean, and then someone's going to pick it up off the coast of England and go like, oh, that's cool, and put it back in the bottle, drop it in, and then it shows up on the shores of New Jersey, right? Yeah, and I, I think... Um, it's interesting you bring up that kind of organic growth of a community because uh, we one of the things we really wanted to do with our website and we're able to continue doing now that it's getting closer to being built is work with uh, what we call as our content partners, which is essentially building the website so that um, it itself can be a centralized hub for content, for quality, high quality gaming content uh, that anybody can enjoy. So if you don't want to trudge through YouTube or you just want to see something good and know you're getting... uh, more like the things you like uh, we are working with several other content creators one of them the gaming muse who does fantastic she does uh, fantastic video essays for silent hill um, we've worked with we're working with codex entry um, and foxcade and some of the other uh, youtubers who don't do necessarily as deep critique but they do have a very specific niche whether that's action games or survival horror um, one that I would really love to work with at some point is the Sphere Hunter, who has done uh, Susie. She's done fantastic essays on um, retrospectives on the Resident Evil series and even things like Haunting Ground. So, kind of on on one hand, it is making those connections, building that community, and providing to the viewer things that you may also like. But it also, you know, there's a hundred thousand viewer difference between somebody like the sphere hunter and somebody like the gaming muse or even umbrella terms which is another one we've contacted we want to help bring those content creators up as well to help give them a platform in a in kind of a the way i've i've pitched it is 
turning justadmonsters.com into kind of like a gaming Netflix, where instead of just being, here's everything you could ever want on YouTube, it is, here's a nicely curated uh, gallery for you to sift through, filled with series, filled with uh, different videos, and in in hosting uh, stuff from our content partners, the way that we want to do it is not to just say, hey, do you want to be our content partner? And then we put all of their stuff on the website. It would be to take kind of select prime cuts, uh, usually in the form of if they have a, a specific video series or a couple really good video essays, and then uh, giving them a platform and then helping people to find their content. If you want to watch more of it, here's their YouTube. If you want to support them, here's their Patreon. So that's kind of a, a and again, we're, we're starting from the very, very bottom, uh, and we are not much farther up, but eventually we really hope to help bring up those content creators, and just like we hope to help bring up those independent game creators, because they're there is a lot of overlap, not just in the audience, but in the interest between the people who make all that content. Yeah, no, and that would be a nice, nice change in pace from everything we've been sort of organized around at this point. Because again, I just don't think like YouTube or algorithmic commuteration in general is is sustainable in the long term. And I've pointed out, I think, in other podcasts that I've I've guested on uh, about like Shutter, you know, Shutter's like this kind of great little uh, phenomenon in that like it is purely focused on thrillers and horror and stuff like that, and it manages to drive like a pretty decent subscription base on that. Uh, you know, Netflix is very much so the one stop shop for everything that you never really wanted to watch unless you're here for something specific. And whereas like smaller services like that, that again, put that emphasis on quality control and like thinking about what actually meshes up and lines up with our content, it's kind of amazing the traction they've been able to get. Yeah, I I love Shudder. I'm a huge horror buff. That won't surprise anybody who's known my work. <laughs> um, and Shudder is, if I had to have one streaming service, I, I would get Netflix every once in a while, but like Shudder is the only one I really need. It's the only one I regularly yeah. interact with if i have a day off or a day where i'm trying to do some game dev work and take a break from my day job uh i pop on movies from shutter it's fantastic and that's i think that is a more apt comparison for what we're trying to do um even though it's it's well and i think shutter does have a good variety you know they have things that are it does. horror adjacent or grindhouse movies kind of maybe old bloody kung fu films um they they do a, a really lot of good... Yakuza flicks too, like like sort of like crime, like thriller stuff. Yeah, and stuff that would like if you're interested in splatter horror or slasher movies, like they're like in a they're not in the same wheelhouse, but they're right next door. So it's it makes it makes total sense. And I, I think that this is a similar thing where we want to offer uh, the content that people crave, the the video essays that they might want, the nuanced critique, the personalities. Um, but also other personalities and other content that can be seen as adjacent to what we offer. Well, you uh, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, if Rebind is Criterion meets Sundance uh, Festival, then uh, Just Add Man- Monsters is the uh, shutter of games critique. So, <laughs> I'll I'll take it. I'll take what I can get right now. <laughs> uh, is is there anything else you'd like to kind of cover? Uh, any other projects you've been working on? Anything else that you've want to take a chance to talk about? Not at the moment. I've been 
really working on my current Resident Evil essay, and then I'm, you know, but um, well, uh, actually, it just comes to mind you're working on a game, aren't you? Yes, yes. In my uh, limited free time, I have I have not worked on it. The thing is, is that I've been working on it for about a year and a half, and um, I'm it's technically almost done. Uh, I played through a completed build. There's a couple dialogue things that need to be added, and then I kind of decided that I wanted to change some UI elements and add two more NPCs to the overworld, and I just haven't gotten around to that because of everything else in the world. Mm. Uh, but I've, I do have designs on getting... If I could really spend like a week working on it solid, I could probably get it out. I, I'm going to have it out this year, come hell or high water. I just need to get to that point mentally. Well, that's awesome. Well, why don't you go ahead and plug the site? Uh, just add monsters, Patreon, etc. Yeah. So we uh, don't technically have our Patreon up yet, but we hope to have that up in a week or so. Um, but right now uh, just go to at ad monsters on Twitter. Uh, we usually post everything there and follow just ad monsters on YouTube. It's the, the one with the logo that says jam. And there you go, folks. And you can also find us, obviously, at patreon.com slash rebind. Also on Twitter, twitter.com slash rebind underscore IO. Rebind is very much so a full-time endeavor for us. So please show us your support. If you love what we do, we are always at the grindstone for you. And thank you so much for coming on the show, Jordan. This has been fantastic. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And we will see the rest of you next time. Mm-hmm.